everybody. Good morning. Guru and Wiz Fantasy Football Podcast. And uh, Wiz, as I look at the calendar, I think we got exactly two months to go to the NFL season begins. Yeah, uh, how you doing? And uh, that's that's true. And uh, I've had two of my draft dates already set up, uh, doing two fairly early the last weekend of uh, of August. So have those uh, have those all set up. And uh, yeah, I mean, we've been trying to tell people that it's going to get upon us uh, quicker than you think, and uh, we're going to get people ready because I know we are. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I actually asked a couple of people this week when I was speaking to them, have you started looking at football? Uh, I got a couple of blank stares. <laughs> so they'll probably be the same blank stares that we see on draft day, but uh, it is what it is. But, uh, you know, we've talked about this. This is a multi-step process in the, in the preseason, getting ready between the NFL draft and uh, free agents and all the moves in the offseason. Um, probably not many too many uh, free agents still left to go in terms of signs. There's, there's a few scattered names out there. But nonetheless, most of the rosters are set. Uh, in about two weeks' time, NFL camps will begin. And uh, you and I are about to embark on a little journey here where we break down each and every team one by one uh, and kind of discuss the uh, fantasy outlook for everybody for 2022. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we're ready to roll here. And uh, we're going we're gonna, to uh, take this team by team. And then uh, we'll, at the end... Uh, you know, after all of those teams are done, we'll circle back and we'll start breaking them down uh, position by position. But uh, this is fun and interesting and, uh, you know, things uh, looking at things along the way. I think it's an important process uh, when you're looking at uh, depth charts as yeah, well. I have to tell you, Wiz, you know, my early preparation so far, um, I, I, I have to say my feeling right now going into the season, I think this is going to be one of the more challenging seasons to figure out uh, in terms of, between player usage and, uh, you know, I, we talked a little bit in our last podcast. If you go back and listen, I have some concerns around the quarterback position. I just I think there's more uncertainty uh, than we've had in a long time going into a, a football season. That's kind of the way I feel about it. Uh, I'm being very open-minded about things, and uh, I'll continue to kind of work very hard to uh, make sure I am all ready for two months from now. Well, I'll tell you where there really isn't any uncertainty, and that's with the Buffalo Bills quarterback, <clears throat> Josh Allen. He's a set-it-and-forget-it quarterback. He's clearly not only uh, quarterback one, he may be the overall quarterback one. Uh, you know, I guess there, there could be debates about if Tom Brady could throw 5,000 yards again, or Justin Herbert uh, is going to get even better and improve on last year. But uh, Josh Allen, to me, you know, I, I don't have any any problems if somebody wants to take care of them as their uh, overall quarterback one. He's elite, uh, throw through for over 4,400 yards, I believe, last year, somewhere around that. Um, had over 700 rushing yards, so accounted for 5,000 uh, yards of offense. And uh, he's elite in an elite offense. Uh, um, I don't know. I think it's difficult for me to view Josh Allen other than maybe quarterback one. How do you feel about that? Yeah, so I don't disagree with you. I will say Josh Allen took a little bit of a step back last year, i.e. about 25 yards less passing per game last year. His completion percentage, remember he made really big strides in the 2020 season where he completed 69% of his pass, and last year it slipped back to 63%. I think Diggs was a little bit more inconsistent, probably because they paid a lot more attention to what that, that, that what that duo was doing together. Uh, but I, I wouldn't fight you on any of what you just said in terms of uh, Josh Allen potentially being the number one 
Um, his rushing obviously gives him, um, pardon the pun, the leg up. Uh, although there has been some stories about him maybe running less, but I just don't see that because it's such a, it's it's a little bit more unstructured when it comes to Josh Allen. But yeah, I'm I'm, I'm inclined to believe that Josh Allen coming into the season is the number one quarterback. Um, and despite kind of the step back stuff that I just discussed, uh, you know, it's not enough to kind of deter me from 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 keeping my mindset on that. One other thing to look at is, you know, <clears throat> Brian Dable left and uh, Ken Dorsey, who is the quarterback coach, is now the offensive coordinator, uh, has a very, very good relationship with with Josh Allen. It seems the players uh, on the Bills' offensive skill players really uh, had great things to say about Ken Dorsey, so we'll see, we'll see how that plays out. Um, you know, it's interesting at running back because Singletary was playing well down the stretch and had a very big game, playoff game against um, um, against the Patriots. Uh, they just walloped them in that game. So he, he he it seemed like he had you know really grasped the you know the lead role with the Bills. And then they drafted James Cook this year. But I just looking at that situation, I just think that James Cook is going to be certainly a third down back. Will be used more in the passing game, but. The fact that Singletary is not going to probably be used the way he was in the passing game and it was not probably going to be on the field on third down, I think takes away a little bit of his value. What takes away a chunk of his value if he's not going to be used that much in the passing game. But James Cook is a, you know, a different type of player, uh, much more dynamic in the passing game. So when you look at it, you kind of agree that the one thing that the draft pick does of James Cook, it kind of takes away a little bit of value from Singletary. Yeah, not, not only that, um, they also signed Duke Johnson, and you could kind of poo-poo that. But at the end of last season, uh, if you remember when Duke Johnson Johnson was getting starts for the Dolphins. Uh, he was actually incredibly effective. I'm, I'm not. I'm not about to suggest that Duke Johnson is going to take away uh, Singletary's job, but but nonetheless, it's just another body on the roster. I think the odd man out becomes Zach Moss. Quite frankly. Um, in this running back crew, I, I am. I guess I'm a little disappointed because this is kind of the second year in a row where we talk about performance at the end of the season. And the season before, uh, Singletary also had a very big playoff game against the Texans uh, as well. Uh, but uh, you know, I don't know. I, I'm I'm kind of disappointed to see the direction that they took because I thought they'd kind of build upon what we saw at the end of last season from Singletary. But yeah, I, I do believe some of his role gets diminished as uh, as a result of both the drafting of Cook and the fact that I think Duke Johnson will get some touches in this offense. So if you're in a league where you start two running backs and possibly three um, as a flex, do you see Singletary as a running back starter, or do you see him more as a flex option? Yeah, right now I'd say going into the season, I feel it's a flex option. Yeah, and I'm I'm, I'm in agreement with you regarding that. And uh, like I said, we'll, we'll, James Cook is just a different type of player, and probably you know the thinking was they want to give him a chance to make chunk plays in the passing game, something that they certainly haven't had, and, and Singletary and Zach Moss are not capable. Of, and uh, we'll, we'll see how Duke Johnson uh, figures into the equation 
Uh, any other things you wanted to make about running back while we get to the receivers? No, let's move on to receiving group. And uh, there's some changes coming there at receiver whiz, right? So uh, Emmanuel Sanders is not there. Cole Beasley is not there. Um, I'm, I'm curious to hear your take on one player here. Uh, he's probably fourth in the pecking order, but obviously Diggs is the main dog here uh, at the receiver position. Like I said, to take a step back from his unbelievable season in 2020, but nonetheless, still still a very, very, very solid season from, from Stephen Diggs. Uh, we know the way Gabriel Davis finished up the year in the playoff game, and I think a lot of people are, are viewing him as the, as the number two guy. And I think where, where things get interesting is how do you kind of make up the role, especially in a, in a in a team the way they ran their offense where the short passing game kind of became part of their running game and Cole Beasley being that that beneficiary of that and probably Dawson Knox at tight end as well to an extent but we'll get into him in a minute but you know they have Jamison Crowder who who is now a Buffalo Bill and a, a guy that I'm a very intrigued with because he had a couple of big games at the end of the season and, and that's Isaiah McKenzie so uh now, I'm curious to hear your takes, particularly on those last two guys that I mentioned, kind of how you see that shake out. I, I personally do believe that Gabriel Davis is the clear number two here. Uh, and, and obviously, we mentioned, we'll, we'll talk about the tight end in a second, but Dawson Knox had a big year, and, t- and touchdowns were a big part of why Dawson Knox had a big fantasy year because he only caught about three balls a game, but it was the touchdowns that made him a difference maker at the tight end position. So let, let's hear your take on this, uh, Wiz, in the receiving position for the Buffalo Bills. So we're working way backwards from Crowder up. I think Crowder's going to fill the role of Beasley. Uh, I think that's his uh, strong suit. I think he'll be uh, a third-down guy that, that Josh Allen looks at. I think they want to keep Isaiah McKenzie in that role where he comes in with those shock at all plays where – he comes in on those jet sweeps or they get him the ball somehow and he makes chunk plays and he's really electric. And when you like, you know, can give the other team some body blows and body blows and then you bring in Isaiah McKenzie, he's electric. So I think you have Crowder filling the kind of the role of, of, of uh, Sanders um, and Beasley. McKenzie, they want to keep the same. Diggs is a top not only a wide receiver one, I think a case could be made he's in the top five. Um, at wide receiver, considering that offense, Gabriel Davis is the is the wild card to me. Um, so he had some decent games, and then he went crazy in that game against Kansas City, eight for two hundred and four touchdowns. So, uh, do you think that momentum is going to carry over this year? And are you viewing Gabriel Davis in a league where, let's say, you start three wide receivers? Are you viewing Gabriel Davis as a fantasy football starter? Yeah, I kind of on, I, I'm kind of on the fringe on that at this point in time, but probably a player that I'm based on my previous views on him and now a third year receiver. Uh, I'm I'm kind of in the view that I'm willing to take that chance that Gabriel Davis will take that step up this year. Yeah, I think uh, I think a, a lot of people in the fantasy football community have him right around that that number. I mean, I wouldn't pay um, you know more for him. I think if you know you get value and he drops and you get into that area where third wide receiver flex, I think that's about right. Um, you, you mentioned Dawson Knox. I'm always dubious when you look at the stats for a player and he has 49 receptions and nine touchdowns, that really 
maybe artificially moves him up in terms of fantasy value. I think Dawson Knox is fine, though. Um, I think he can improve as a player, a young player. Uh, Josh Allen seems to have a really good rapport with him. So while I don't have him in the first or second tier of tight ends where he's talking about, you know, the the George Kittles and the, and the Darren Wallers and and – Hawkinson's and Dalton Schultz, and certainly not with Kelsey uh, either. Uh, I, I, I do believe that he's in a group amongst that next block of tight ends that I'm, I'm comfortable with, uh, you know, with Freemuth, uh, with with Hunter Henry, um, with Gusecki, those type, uh, Albert Okwabunam as well. So I'm, I'm okay with him. I, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't knock people out of the way to go draft him. Uh, but if he falls in terms of value, uh, I'm okay with that. But <clears throat> like I said, player that catches around 50 balls and, and 20% of those are for touchdowns. It's just kind of difficult to to duplicate that. So um, I think, well, Dawson Knox is okay. Uh, I think you have to really look inside those numbers and uh, they, there's a little bit of, uh, of of stuff that went on and maybe artificially moved them up. Yeah, one other thing too, they, they did sign uh, O.J. Howard. So O.J. <clears throat> Howard, uh, who was very touted coming out of college, out of Alabama, never really made an impact uh but only in a few games thus far in his NFL career. But he is uh, he was signed to a one-year deal. He's currently on this roster. Yeah, and in terms of the special teams, Tyler Bass and the Bills, not only you know uh, should they be both top 12 at their respective positions, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're both up there in terms of uh, maybe where you want to get them in terms of kicker. You know, you always like to have a kicker that is in a good offense and – has the ability to kick long kicks and has a coach that will send him out for long kicks. So Tyler Bass kind of checks, checks the boxes for all of those things. And the Bills defense, um, assuming White is healthy uh, at cornerback, um, their defense is, is pretty good and they should be drafted in all formats. That's really all I had to say about Bass and Bills. And is anything you want to add about that? Yeah, so it's interesting. Uh, Tyler Bass has the longest streak uh, for kickers, uh, even though he kicks in a you know harsher weather conditions. Uh, when you think about uh, aside of aside from Miami, right? Uh, even on the road in the in the AFC East, you know, in New York and New England. Uh, but nonetheless, he's made seventy-one. Uh, point after attempts uh, as the longest streak in the NFL. And like you said, he's sent out there for long kicks and the cold doesn't seem to bother him at all. You know, it's interesting. The Bills are one of the, uh, I think they were the only team. I think the Cowboys were close, but not quite. The only team that actually ranked in the top five in both offense and defense. I think the one thing that the Bills did not do well last year, uh, what they did have, they were very strong on takeaways, but what they didn't do well was sack the quarterback. Uh, and they did try to address that. They brought Shaq Lawson back and they have Von Miller uh, in the fold. So, uh, and you mentioned Tredavious White coming back because uh, we've talked about this before. Tredavious White in that Kansas City game, if he's playing that game, the Bills probably win that game and not have that debacle at the end. But nonetheless, um, the Bills defense, uh, as well as their offense, very potent and uh, yes, very worthy of a top 12 uh, selection in both cases at kicker and defense was. All right. Excellent. Agree completely. And uh, they add it. Uh, it's kind of a wrap on the uh, Buffalo Bills fantasy outlook. All right. Fantastic, Wiz. And uh, back on the other side, we move to the next team in the AFC East, which will be the Miami Dolphins. 